This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, so if you want to do something wonderful for your sweetheart, for your family, for your loved ones, please consider uh, state planning. Uh, your will, trusts, um, having all of your affairs in order so that when your family is distraught at your passing, which I assume hopefully they will be, uh, that'll be one less thing that'll be on their mind. So if you have a question about wills and estates, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. If, you wear, if you're listening to this at work, you can't t- talk on the phone, please send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz, and not only happy Valentine's Day tomorrow, but happy Mardi Gras today, the festive week we have. And you're right, people need to you know, think about uh, leaving that set of instructions for their family uh, that will help their family in, in a time when the family is already grieving. And uh, not enough people engage in, in estate planning. I'll even say it's life planning. It really is you know, part of a, a life plan that someone should have all the way up through the time of their death. Well, I, I think it's... it's kind of a black humor uh in my family we do quite talk about death uh a lot and uh our services and how we want things that's kind of a a family joke um my dad uh, outlived everyone uh all of his ancestors that he knew of in age and so he would always talk about how he wanted this or how he wanted that and Uh, You know, it's one thing to talk about it, but to actually put it on paper, um, because I know when he passed away, uh, your survivors are just kind of, you know, left shocked. And if it's something written out, you may have had the discussion about how you wanted something left for your estate, but having it written out so that your loved ones can follow that, you know, that's just a step above showing them how much you love them. Exactly. And, you know, I've actually really had people say to me, if I do a will or I do a trust or I think about death, then I'll die. And, you know, there, there are two experiments I wish people would, would stop trying. One is that you can somehow or another avoid dying by never having an estate plan because it doesn't work. And the other is if you throw trash in the back of your pickup truck and go 30 miles an hour, <laughs> the trash will fly out. And I think we've proven that scientifically and don't need to have that experiment anymore. So those are two that I wish we could move on to other science at this point. Yeah, I really have. You know, people are afraid uh, for, for lots of reasons that to talk about 
the inevitable. So that's why I say let's call it life planning. And those discussions actually are important, but then put it down in writing and, and leave those instructions for that family so that they know what, what it is you wanted to do. And, you know, those instructions involve a lot of different things. They involve, uh, you know, health directives. They involve uh, things, you know, a will, certainly. But, uh, you know, funeral arrangements ought to be something that, you know, that the person discusses with the family ahead of time. You don't want to put them in a will necessarily because a will may be read, you know, long after it's too late to effectuate that person's, you know, funeral arrangements. Uh, you know, so, you know, for example, if the, if the family thought the person wanted to be cremated and then they read in the will that they wanted to do something else, that's too late. So there are just some discussions that you want to have uh, throughout life. And uh, as hard as those discussions can be, they actually make it easier uh, for everyone uh, in the long run. I know about 20, 20, oh golly, 20 years ago, I was watching Oprah and one of the books she highlighted was called, I think it was called Checklist for Life. Uh, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but it was kind of a workbook. You could even, you know, pick the, the hymns that you want at your service, but you'd also write down the names of your, where you had bank accounts, write down who your insurance agent is, just having all of that kind of information, you know, maybe you keep your will in a uh, safety deposit box or you keep it at an attorney's office, but then writing down what bank uh, is this where the safety deposit box is and what, uh, uh, you know, who is the attorney? Those are all uh, that was for me a interesting way to have your wishes accessible to people. And, you know, I would tell my family, OK, the checklist for life book is in my nightstand. And that's a great idea. And it's not you know, we're not writing a mystery novel. You know, we, we really want people to be able to find these things. And there's there's a story I always we, we go over and, and when I teach wills and estates about a, a guy in Texas who buried the key to a safe deposit box in, in a in like in, in a big you know multi acre field, and so his family knew it was there somewhere. And when they found it, they didn't know which bank it went to, so they had to go from bank to bank. And finally, they find in the safe deposit box the will that describes where the key could be found. <laughs> and, you, and you know, and so that's like the worst case scenario. And it really does happen. So have those discussions. Have somebody you trust. Uh, pick out the person you, you want to be. Uh, I call it the personal representative because that's gender neutral. But, you know, you hear the terms executor and executrix all, all the same. It doesn't matter. Um, you find that person. They're the ones that are going to be responsible for taking care of things um, after your death. You pick somebody who you trust. You have conversations with them ahead of time. You tell them where all that stuff is. Um, you know, things like passwords. It's very important if you, you know, you have somebody you can trust with a password to your to your online accounts and things like that, your Facebook account. Um, and Facebook has even come up now with ways to uh, pick trusted friends who can have access in case uh, in case you you don't for whatever reason. All right, listeners, we'd love to hear if you haven't gotten your will uh, uh, set up yet. Tell us why. We'll let Professor Gershon try to talk you out of it. Uh, if you have, tell us how you've let your family know about it. Uh, we'd love to have your questions and comments about wills, estates, and trusts. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-672. 7464. Our address is Legal Terms 
at mpbonline.org. You know, this morning I was telling my mom, I talk, try to talk to my mom every day or every other day. She lives in Arkansas. And I was out walking the dog and telling her about our show, which she couldn't call in because she was going to have to do some shopping uh, today in the city. But um, she, she, she has been one trying to get her estate in order uh, because she loves us and doesn't want us to have to squabble afterwards. And she said uh, that she wanted to make sure she knew uh, that, that I knew that she wanted to be cremated, but she didn't want a marble box uh, or urn. She wanted uh, something nice and wooden that would be biodegradable. So uh, I need to make a note of that somewhere. So if I'm too distraught and the, you know, the time comes and the uh, funeral service puts you on the spot, you, you have that written down. So that you don't have to think, oh, what was that conversation I had with mom while I was walking the dog? Exactly. Exactly. You know, these things are always better written down because our memories, you know, do lapse and they do. We do remember things a little bit differently. Uh, And there are details that we leave out. This, you know, putting it down, having an estate plan, a life plan that's in writing uh, really helps everybody. And, you know, the thing about it is there are a lot of people scrambling around today buying those last minute Valentine gifts. (laughs) You know, you know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So you can wait to the last minute. For it, when you know what the date is, the thing about the thing about death, and I'm not trying to be morbid, it's just reality, is we don't know when that date is. So you know, people who put it off to the last minute, that may be too late. Oh, and so, Professor Gershon, this could be the great. I don't know what to get my loved one for Valentine's Day gift. Exactly, and it really, it's a very romantic thing to do to take care of them to to love them enough to say, I don't want you to have any disruption. You know, after my death, because I'm going to I'm going to have everything planned out. So all you have to do is follow these instructions. All right. Before we take our first break, let's go ahead and get into what why do we need an estate plan? Does the state of Mississippi have control of us? Let's let's get into the the, the meat of why we need an estate plan. Well, that's a great question. And, and the starting point I have with any person I would do an estate plan for is, OK, what would happen if, if you died today and we did nothing? Uh, because, you know, I can show from that point, if that's what they want to have happen, then I really don't need to do anything for them. But it's almost never what they want to have happen because what happens is uh, dictated statutorily by the legislature. We call it intestate succession where someone dies without an estate plan, without a will. And, and there's some guesses that the legislature makes. One guess is that you would want your spouse and children to share equally. So a spouse gets the same share as the children. Uh, and that's not true in every state, but it is in Mississippi. So, you know, that may not be true. You know, furthermore, I mean, it, it, the, the intestate succession laws only allow property to pass to family members, not friends, not charities. Uh, there's no provision for taking care of your pet. And the other thing they do is they simply say you divide the property. So if you have four kids, they each get a quarter. Uh, you know, a child's share is going to be a quarter uh, of that property. And it, But it doesn't define that property. And you can't cut the dining room table where everyone sat and shared Thanksgiving dinner and, and holiday dinners uh, that may be really precious to everyone. You can't divide that in, in four ways. So there's some things that don't are, are much harder uh, to deal with. You know, it's easy to divide $100 four ways. That won't, that won't be a problem. But intestate succession laws don't really address the specific property. 
Well, and now we're going to take our first break. Uh, listeners, don't try to be calling in at five minutes till 11. If you want to have some quality time talking with someone who can give you advice, this is a lawyer here, folks. The billable hours are zero for today. So if you want to have a question for Professor Richard Gershon, please give us a call now. Our phone number is one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 672-7464. You can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, mamas, if you don't want your kids to know you are got a question, I won't read out your email address. Uh, if you don't want your spouse to know what your question is, I won't read out your email address. But contact us. We'd love to answer your questions on in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. If you're enjoying this podcast on wills and estates, you might enjoy the podcast we did on August 8th, 2017, also on wills and estates on In Legal Terms at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, we realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to the whole show live, especially if you're in the car, running some errands, or you're at work and have some things to do. So if you miss any of this program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on our MPB media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about estates and wills, and we have uh, uh, a caller on. We're so glad that Anna from Starkville has called in this morning. Good morning, Anna. Morning. Go ahead, Anna. Oh, yeah. Okay, my question is about trust funds, trust funds for children, but also uh, minors or older children. And after they are uh, about to get the fund, uh, if it is uh, tax deductible or they have to pay taxes. Professor Gershon? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Did you hear Anna's question about I, I heard the first part, Liz. I heard the, the question about trust funds for children and even adult children, and I'm happy to address that. I did not hear the part about, um, I heard something about tax. Is it tax deductible? But I wasn't sure about the whole question. Anna, could you repeat your question for us? Yes. I want to know if trust funds are tax deductible or after the children or the, uh, become adults and start to um, withdraw money for that fund, they have to pay taxes. Well, it's a, it's a great question, and, uh, you know, there's it's a, it's a complicated question. There's a whole course uh, in the income taxation of trust in the states uh, that uh, deals with um, if, if, if an income produced by the trust is taxable, uh, either to the trust if it stays in the trust or to the beneficiaries when it's paid out to the beneficiaries. Uh, the original gift put into the trust for the, the children, so if I put $100,000 in in cash and all that they draw out is that principle, 
principal, that's not taxable. That's just a gift. But any interest on that uh, on that um, that money would be taxable. And the presumption is that whatever comes out first is is income. But it really depends on the terms of the trust, whether you know whether the trustee has the discretion to pay out either income or principal, whether the trustee can just pay out income. And what it what it tells us is trusts are really flexible uh, instruments that can be created by a lawyer to help you. You know, effectuate whatever wishes you want to effectuate. Um, it's not like a genie, you know, not that, those kind of wishes, but certainly if you want to set up a trust fund for your children to make sure that they have money uh, th- throughout their lifetime, uh, and you're may, especially if you're worried that they may not spend money very carefully, you can have someone, a trustee, who manages the property or the, the, the money for them and pays them out over time. And you can say that they get the money when they reach the age of 21, they get it all out of the trust, or you can say, you know, this is going to be for their whole lifetime and decide then who else gets the property when, when the child dies. So um, a trust can do a lot of good things. I, you know, I recommend talking to a lawyer in, in the right circumstance about, uh, you know, considering a trust in addition to a will, sometimes even instead of a will. Thanks, Anna, for that question. Uh, let's back up just a little bit, Professor Gershon, uh, uh, making a will. Who makes a will? Go with that. Uh, that's a, it's a really important question, and who can make a will? And the Mississippi statutes and, and statutes in every state say you have to have sound mind. And you have to be of the age of majority, uh, with one exception that if someone's married and, and they are emancipated uh, as a minor, then they can also make a will. But, you know, the, the one that's easy is the, the age restriction. That's capacity. You know, to make, once you meet the age restriction, you have capacity in that respect. But we hear the term sound mind. And, you'll, you know, you'll see uh, TV shows and movies where they're reading the will and they say, I being of sound mind. Well, you know, just because you put it in the will doesn't mean the person is of sound mind. Uh, the way... Uh, we define it here, and again, in most states, it's, it's very similar, is capacity is, do I know, uh, for example, uh, my people that I want to give the property to? We call them the natural objects of your bounty. Do I know what my property is? And so the client should be able to, the person making the will should be able to talk generally about what property they own, you know, that they have some real estate and they have some uh, personal property uh, that, you know, and describe it to some extent. And they need to know that they're making a will and they need to know how all those things relate together. It It's a very, very, very low standard, quite honestly, because we want people to be able to make estate plans. The only thing that is a lower standard for capacity than making a will is getting married so uh, and you know I, that my wife proves that because she must have <laughs> lacked capacity to marry me but um you know so when you look at capacity it's it's not much but we want somebody to understand generally their property their people uh that you know that the how the will affects their property and their people and how they all relate together and and so you know a lawyer should assess that before uh taking on making a will if a will if a person lacks capacity the will is not valid it just can never be valid. And speaking to capacity, I know we have some coworkers whose uh, parents have been through different stages of dementia, and they've all advised everyone that they can talk to to encourage your family members if there's even a hint of, I guess, diminished capacity to, to go ahead and before to go ahead and try to get legal things in place. 
That's right. And, you know, really, a person could have Alzheimer's and still have capacity to make a will as long as at the time they were actually executing and signing the will. They would um, understand the, the, the people, their, you know, their natural objects of their bounty, the people who they would naturally give their property to. They would understand what their property was generally. They would understand that they were making a will. But But the thing about that is, the longer they wait, uh, the, the more if, if somebody wants to challenge the will, they're going to first say, well, this person had Alzheimer's, so I bet they didn't have capacity. And that opens that door. So it's not something we want to wait on. You know, again, um, the sooner that we can all put our estate plans together, uh, the better. Well, the whole reason we're doing this show is to answer your questions. So uh, give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is a, a wills and estates and trusts show. So, Lynn from Clarksdale, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I have a two-part question, and I can take the answers off the air. Uh, the first part of my question is, how often do you suggest that people revise their will to reflect the changes in their life circumstances, you know, getting married or getting divorced, having children, then all of a sudden grandchildren come. Uh, maybe someone becomes a black sheep and you, you don't want to leave them something. So how often do you suggest that people revise their will? And the second part of my question has to do with durable power of attorney. Uh, if you're, you know, incapacitated or if you're ill or hospitalized, uh, how important do you think it is to have a durable power of attorney and also your, you know, how you want to die, basically? You know, no means of, you know, no outstanding means for resuscitation, that kind of thing. And and the, go ahead. Those are great questions. And uh, let me start with the revisal question, because, yeah, wills can be revised. In fact, um, there we use the term ambulatory for wills, meaning simply that, you know, they they you can change your mind over time. You can change your estate plan over time. And a person should think about every major change in their lives. Uh, certainly, if someone uh, gets married, gets divorced, uh, they need to think about revising their estate plan. If they have a child, they need to think about revising their estate plan uh, for that can Considering that child, grandchildren being born, um, moving to another state and considering the laws of of that state, uh, buying, you know, significant other property. So there are always times when you think about, okay, if I address these things and, you know, as people change uh, and sometimes, sadly, people die who are beneficiaries and, you know, you've given property to them and you want to revise your will to make sure then you've updated it to to give property to someone who actually is is still living. and so, you know, you know, it's like an annual checkup in a way at the doctor's office. I don't know that everyone needs to update their estate plan annually, but you ought to think about it annually and what's changed this year. And there are times when major events have happened that you definitely want to update it. Now, your second question deals with planning capacity in general, and that's that's an important part of the estate plan. Uh, and, you know, incapacity happens before the person dies. And, and the truth is, for a young person, it is more likely that they are going to suffer some uh, accident that may incapacitate them in some way than it is that they're going to die early. So, you know, one reason why I say this is life planning is that some of the things you want to have in place is who will take care of uh, making medical decisions for me when I can't 
can't make those anymore. Uh, you know, that's a that's a medical durable power of attorney or an advanced health care directive. Um, and the other is who's going to take care of my finances uh, when I can't take care of them anymore. And you talked about the durable power of attorney. Uh, the durable power of attorney gives someone the ability to work with the bank and pay bills and, and make sure your financial uh, affairs are in order. And it gives them tremendous power over those financial affairs in the event of incapacity. And I would typically require two doctors, two independent doctors, make the assessment of incapacity because when you give somebody a durable power of attorney, they've got tremendous, they've got tremendous power. It's got to be somebody you really trust. Um, you know, I think, you know, the reason I want two independent doctors is I don't want the person with the durable power to look at me and say, oh, you know, you're looking pretty incapacitated today. I think now I'll take over your bank account. So there is some risk there. But if you trust the person, you want to make sure that that person uh, will then take care of your, your financial needs you know, during incapacity. So it's a really good question. It's all part of a, a, an estate plan. People need to think beyond just property at passing at death. But who's going to take care of certain decisions during my lifetime, medical decisions? Who will take care of my financial needs uh, uh, during my incapacity as well? Thanks, uh, Lynn. We appreciate your call. Uh, We had an email that kind of piggybacks on this, Professor Gershon. They want to know how the valid, durable power of attorney laws have changed in Mississippi and... Uh, to make them less absolute and how one could work around the new loopholes written into the new laws. Okay, well, that's one that uh, first, you know, I think that a person who has a durable power of attorney uh, needs to make sure um, that they you know, evaluate the, the new Mississippi law. And I'm not I'm not sure I understand exactly which specific loophole this person's talking about. But in terms of, uh, you know, that I would if I haven't if I if you were somebody who has a current durable power of attorney, what I would do is I would go make sure I updated that with uh, an, uh, an attorney. Uh, make sure that um, you're not affected by law changes. And, uh, you know, that's probably the best way I can answer that question, because I don't want to talk about a specific loophole that I'm not I'm not sure which one they mean. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, John from Natchez, hang on. We'll get to your question uh, when we get back. Uh, If you have a question, we have a couple of lines open. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Tonight, we're, today we're talking about uh, the best Valentine's gift that you can give to your sweetheart, to your family, to your loved ones, having your estate in order so that they're not put through the, the hassle and the stress uh, to take care of your estate. So give us a call. Uh, you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
you're listening to In Legal Terms this morning, or maybe you're listening to this as a podcast on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. This morning, we're talking about estate planning, wills, um, trusts, and we'd love to have you give us a call. Our number is one 877 672-7464. We appreciate John from Natchez holding on. John, go ahead. Yes, I'm having some conflicting uh, information. I live in Mississippi now, but I have a farm in Louisiana that uh, produces revenue, and I want to leave it to my grandson. I've had a Louisiana lawyer say I need a Louisiana lawyer. I had another Louisiana lawyer that says I need a Mississippi lawyer. And I'm also interested if I should put it in a trust. Well, that's a great question. And really, you know, one of the things we need to think about is, you know, if you have property, real property, as your farm is in other states, so land in another state uh, or buildings in another state, the laws of that state will determine how that property passes, that specific property. And so uh, if you if you're someone who has um, real estate in lots of different states, then you could be facing having to go through the probate process for that real estate in each of those states. Now, one thing that you can do to help avoid that is to set up a trust. If you put, the way you, you do that is you transfer the property into trust. And I think a lot of people get worried when you, they hear that uh, that phrase, transfer the property into trust. Uh, you're not doing anything other than retitling the property. The trust itself is an entity treated as a person in, in, in the state. And so that trust actually owns the property for your benefit. And so when a person dies, the, the trust doesn't die, and the property uh, passes by the terms of the trust and doesn't need to go through the probate process that way. And so for, for someone who has lots of property in lots of different states, real estate, a trust is a really good consideration. Uh, either that or you have to think about and make sure that um, uh, the will uh, uh, and the, the probate process is taken care of in each of those jurisdictions. So, uh, you know, that's, I think that's one way to deal with multi-state property. That's probably the, but the best way. I use the revenues that I'm presently getting from the property for my part of my retirement. I could still receive the revenues even if it's in a trust. Absolutely. You would just you would set up and this is something you want to you do want to talk to an attorney about. So I'm giving more general advice and I hope you understand that I can't I can't give specific advice about your case. But you know what a person could do is set up a trust that is a, a revocable living trust if they wanted to do it that way to avoid probate to have um, all the income from whatever properties in the trust payable to them uh, at their discretion. And then uh, on on their death, they can decide how the property will be distributed at that point. A lot of times, if there's a minor child, for example, and you, you're not going to give um, property right, you know, outright to a minor child, you'll set up the trust in such a way that the the trust will continue after the the first person's death, uh, and after the person who created the trust death, and the property will pass uh, to the child at some point. But it might be a point later when they reach adulthood, or even beyond that, depending on the circumstance. So, you know, trusts give you a lot of flexibility, a lot of um, some control that you don't have in a will as well. Okay, well that helps me. So should I get a, a Mississippi lawyer and a Louisiana lawyer? 
I don't think you need to. I think if you set up a trust, you, you really shouldn't need to do that. You might need uh, somebody to help you retitling the, the Louisiana land. So, there will, you know, there will be a process for actually transferring that that. Uh, uh, revenue-producing property you have in Louisiana into the trust, but that's that's mm-hmm. that's really a title change, is what that is. Um, you know, so I, you know, I think uh, for the most part, drafting the document itself, the trust document itself, you would not need to have uh, a Louisiana lawyer. You live in Mississippi, I would I would uh, have the trust document created by the by a lawyer in the state of your your domicile because you you might want to put other property in there too, the other you know your your well, personal I think, property I think in Mississippi. I should have it done by a lawyer in which state? I would do it in in Mississippi if that's where you live, where your primary residence is, where you where you live, and uh, you know have most of your property. I would do it there, bank accounts, things like that. Okay, well that helps me. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, thank you, John. We appreciate your calling in. We had one person hang up, so that means we have one line open. Our number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is a popular topic on this Valentine's Day Eve of how you can uh, treat your loved ones well by giving them the gift of uh, self-assurance on having your estate put into good order. So now we appreciate Angela holding on. Angela, uh, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. I just want to know, my father had passed away when I was 10 at work. And um, I was supposed to have received um, his life insurance when I turned 18 or 21. And I never received it. And um, the company that he worked for has closed. So um, I was wondering how do I go about finding, you know, where to receive the life insurance from? Well, first of all, I'm sorry that happened, uh, Angela. I, you know, um, the, you know, I would, I would definitely uh, have someone help you find out where the ins- who has the insurance policy. Because even if the company is closed, if they owned an insurance policy with an insurance company, yeah. it's we, you know, that policy should still be out there and right. hopefully still effective. You know, it's. Uh, I'm glad you asked this question for a lot of reasons. One is that uh, when we talk about wills and we talk about trust, they don't control proceeds of life insurance. They don't control retirement plans, typically. Uh, Those are usually um, controlled by the contract itself, the insurance contract or the retirement plan contract. So Mm -hmm. what you raise is a really important question, and I hope, I wish you the best of luck in in tracking down that insurance policy. My mother had received hers, you know, but I was a minor, so um, I don't know where to, and she's just passed, so I don't know where to start looking. (laughs) And, and I get, I'm assuming there was no trust created to hold the money for you uh, at your father's um, death. Well, it had to have been. I mean, since I was 10, so that'd be like eight, um, 15 years. So they had to put it somewhere you know, until I turned 18 or 21. Right. I mean, I, somebody would have to find that policy to see what exactly it, it called for. Mm-hmm. And so I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid you're going to have to find out, you know, where, you know, where they had the policy, which, which insurance company had, had the policy. I know with uh, my, my father had an insurance policy after he died that um, we, none of us knew about. And, and the insurance yeah. company finally tracked us down about uh, well over 10 years after his death and told us that, uh, you know, there was an, an insurance policy that he had. So, um, you know, I, I, 
all I can I, all I can do at this point is wish you luck at and finding that. I mean, if it does exist, then you certainly would be entitled to the payment that that the, the terms of the insurance policy dictated. Angela, my uh, uh, nosy busybody, two suggestions would be uh, maybe if you had a uh, if you knew a coworker of your dad, maybe they had purchased policies also so they'd at least know the name of the insurance company and then the other one uh, I personally have gotten money from the unclaimed treasury money from states so you know if it was in Mississippi I think you check with the Secretary of State's office they have uh, unclaimed funds listing. You might try one of those two options. Liz, that's a great idea to go to the Secretary of State and, and look at the unclaimed funds because sometimes there is money there that people don't even know they're entitled to. And and uh, again, you know, sorry for Angela's loss and hope, hope her the best. Wish her the best. Thanks, Angela. Uh, next, uh, we have a uh, very easy email, I guess, I hope. Uh, Professor Gershon, someone wants to know if inherited property is taxable. Well, that's a great, it's a great question. And, you know, it, I think a lot of people hear about the estate tax which has been uh, uh, really now the exemption amount is so high. But when people talk about is the estate property inherited from an estate taxable, uh, not for income tax purposes, it's not. Uh, the code uh, says that, you know, income and gifts, gifts also, if you get a birthday present, it's not taxable either. But if you inherit property from someone, that is also not taxable. Neither are proceeds of life insurance payable by reason of death. So we talk about death and, and taxes being inevitable, but I guess I guess Congress has decided they shouldn't happen both at the same time. Now, again, that is different from the estate tax. So for very large estates, uh, there is it's a possibility that they may have to pay a transfer tax. But now we're talking about wealth in excess for a couple, married couple of excess of $22 million. So we're not talking about most taxpayers. We're not talking about me for sure. But, you know, from an income tax perspective, it is not, it is not taxable. Now, one exception would be, for example, if I, if I died today on the air, and I'll try not to do that, uh, and I had earned my paycheck but not been paid it yet, uh, and my wife got my paycheck on, you know, as my beneficiary, that would be taxable. That's something called income in respect of a decedent. So, there, you know, there are some exceptions, but property uh, that you inherit is not income taxable. Fantastic. We'll take one more call before we go to a break. Uh, Lewis from Biloxi, we're so glad you called in to In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, for the past 20 years, I've updated my will every year, <clears throat> and I usually send it. Uh, I, I usually use uh, two unrelated government employees to witness the, uh, the changes each year. Now, I send an updated copy each year to two executors the co-executives and four uh, heirs. My question is, should I record this every year at an office uh, nearby um, in Biloxi or Gulfport? Um, and if so, uh, do, I, do I update it every year with them? And, and if not, uh, will it be probated? 
All right, great question. And the, and the answer is you don't really need to record it anywhere. You just need to make sure somebody knows where to find it in case of your death and to know which document is your last will. Uh, I, you know, I think as one, one thing we haven't talked about is how you revoke a will. And anytime you make a new one that, to, that changes your previous one and you say, say words like, I, you know, this is my last will and testament, hereby revoking all previous wills made, what that means is this is it. This is that document. And we're not going to look at any of those other ones. It might be helpful to at least, if there are copies of the previous wills, to then uh, put void on the on the face of them or something to let people know that they're no longer valid. Um, the main thing is to make sure somebody knows where that last one is. And by the way, I commend you for doing these updates every year. Uh, you're kind of the perfect client in that respect. Uh, if you were a patient of a doctor, you would be a per- perfect patient for taking that time to do that, and you're helping your family. Um, but the main thing is that people need to know where your last will is. And so whoever your personal representatives are, you said they're two executors, they need to know, okay, here's where I'm going to keep this will. It, it, my last one will be the one dated uh, last, so it's always important to put a date on the will when you execute it so you know which one is the last one. And I do think you know it's even helpful also to write void on the, the previous will so people know that they're no longer valid. Well, I actually send it to the uh, two co-executors, and I send a copy to each of the four heirs. And I do that because in years past, they've had some questions, and I made sure that it was adjusted to uh, accommodate uh, their decisions of what they wanted. That's it's a, a really a great idea. And, you know, those executors need to know. First of all, I, I, I'm always amazed when people surprise somebody by pointing them as an executor in the will and the executor doesn't find out until after the person dies you know the executor may want to have nothing to do with it so it's good that you're talking you're the people who are your executors are having conversations with you ahead of time you're you're engaging in life planning and you're talking to them about and and and, you know listening to their concerns about you know how they're supposed to to manage your property after your death so you are being proactive you're doing the right things and i commend you for that thank you sir All right, we're going to take our final break now. Um, We're talking about estates and wills, and we think this is the perfect Valentine gift for that uh, loved one, that sweetheart, for your spouse, for your children. Uh, Please go ahead and make sure you've got your ducks in a row. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Chris in Philadelphia, hang on. We've also got a couple of emails we're going to get to. Right after this break, we'll be back with In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Please remember, if you miss any of our program or if you're listening to any of the local programs and you just can't stay to listen to the whole thing, you can finish listening to the show or listen to the whole show again 
online, mpbonline.org. Specifically, we're at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're talking about estate planning, wills, trusts, uh, and now we have Chris from Philadelphia. Chris, go ahead. We're glad that you've called in today. Um, yes, my question is that I just recently found out I was listed as a beneficiary on my aunt's IRA, and she had passed away several years ago. It would have matured this year, which is why the bank contacted me. So I've started the process to collect it, but I'm wondering if there is going to be an upfront tax, either federal or state, where it's generated or here in Mississippi. I do realize at the end of the year it will be income, but I just wasn't sure if there's an upfront tax that's going to come out. Well, Chris, that's a great question. And, and inherited IRAs uh, are, provide certain opportunities. One is that uh, you can go ahead and just take the money uh, outright and pay the tax on it. Uh, but one thing that I would recommend as you look into uh, taking the money over uh, a, a period of time, and it really depends on how old your aunt was uh, when um, she died. Uh, if she was at an age where she was required to already start taking payments from this IRA, then you know, then the lifetime you'll use, you're going to need to start taking uh, immediate um, draws from that IRA. It's in, in something called mandatory annual distribution. So you want to talk to someone about that. Um, they can help you set that up. Uh, my recommendation with an inherited IRA is that uh, unless you absolutely need the money right now, that you spread it out and it can be spread out over your lifetime uh, and you get mandatory payments each year that would be taxable, but then you're you know you're actually deferring the tax until uh, the payments each year. Uh, so I would you know talk to someone, talk to your financial advisor about what's best for you and your situation. But uh, you know, this is, this is income in respect of a decedent in a way, like I talked about my paycheck, but you can spread it out. Uh, and it really depends on how old your aunt was and, and uh, whether she was already receiving mandatory distributions from her IRA. Yeah, okay. Well, she was not. She she died before age of retirement. Um, and just out of sheer chance, the bank made an extraordinary effort and found me because she would have turned 65 this year. So they just, I guess the person over the case became aware it was at maturity and saw there was a beneficiary, so it kind of went from there. Right, and so you should be able to defer a, a bunch of that income uh, if, unless you just opt to take it all uh, now. If you take it all now, then you can do whatever you want with it, but you would have to pay tax on it, uh, or you can set it up in what is called an inherited IRA and, and have it spread out uh, the, over you know, a longer period of time. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, that answered my question. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now we have a couple of emails to get to Professor Gershon. Uh, this one uh, is a, uh, it's a two-part question. It's, uh, if I leave everything to my daughter in my will, and after my death she divorces, will any of her inheritance possibly go to her husband by the terms of the divorce? Well, typically, you know, it really depends. That's a that's a great question, and it's an important question to think about. You know, not only our own uh, marital situations, but our children's potential marital situations. And one thing that 
could happen is typically money that is inherited, property that's inherited, can be can, can still be separate property uh, in an equitable distribution in, in Mississippi and in most states. But if she takes that money or property, if the daughter were to take that money or property and put it into the joint bank account of the couple, then it becomes uh, joint property and could be uh, subject of equitable distribution and it could be split uh, with the former spouse. So, you know, that's a situation if you if you know a child is in, a, in that kind of uh, possibility, the marriage is not going well, they may be getting divorced. Uh, you know, one recommendation I would have is consider a trust and a trust who's by its very terms makes sure that the daughter uh, is protected or the, the child is protected from uh, uh, having to split that money during the divorce. And there are ways to do that and lawyers can help with that. Uh, divorce is really an important thing to talk about when we think about estate planning because, for example, most states have provisions that if you get divorced, the will will be revoked as it relates to the former spouse. But they don't have provisions that say, for example, the life insurance beneficiary will change if you get divorced or the beneficiary on your retirement plan will change. And I I worked with someone who was married uh, once and got divorced, never changed the beneficiary on his uh, retirement plan, which was the bulk of his estate. He got married again, had a child with his second second spouse. When he died, they were very, the second spouse and child were surprised to find out that the first spouse was still the beneficiary on on the retirement plan. So it's really important to think about life planning when someone gets divorced to make sure they've changed all those documents as well. And I guess that would also go to the second part of the question. If I leave everything to my daughter in my will after my death, she dies before her husband. Can you be sure that the inheritance goes to the grandchildren? I guess it's all the way it's worded and if it's commingled. Well, you know, one way to do it is to set up a trust, and that way you can you just really are in essence just giving the daughter access to the money and property during her lifetime, and then making sure the remainder goes to the grandchildren. And a trust can effectuate that. Um, but you know, if if the if the if the ex dies first then the property uh, should go to the children, depending. But it depends on the, the daughter's will. It depends on what other estate planning the daughter does, because once the property is hers, then it, it will be controlled by her estate plan. And that's why a trust will give the parent more control over what happens during the daughter's lifetime. All right. We had a couple of emails that we didn't get to because we were so busy. This was a popular show. We'll have Professor Gershon uh, answer the emails Emaily. <laughs> so that'll wrap us up today for In Legal Terms. Our call screener for today, I think we've had some flu going around, so I'm not quite sure who we had today. Oh, it was Java Chapman. Uh, our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. In Oxford, Tracy Daniel helps us out. For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.